Oh, wow. And Tanner really makes it hard with the guy with the bad backs. Who, uh, man, that is so awesome. Thank you for leading us in worship. Isn't God good this morning? Give God a round of applause, man. Awesome. In the house. And uh, go ahead. My name, my name is Terry Pierce, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church uh, for now until we get surgery done. But anyway, uh, go ahead and laugh. Uh, you know, I got the neck brace on. I got a couple of uh, herniated discs and six and seven. That uh, Three and four is bad, but hey, we're here. And so anyway... Um, but uh, go ahead and laugh. Andrew and uh, uh, our, uh, Andrew, the guy you saw on the video uh, for new folks that does our children's ministry, and Tanner, the music guy. So uh, staff members, and they've been laughing at me all week wearing the brace. And so if you'd like to have any positions, they'll be fired this week. So anyway, uh, we're, we're look, looking for new guys. But uh, so go ahead and laugh and all that. We had a moron in the first service to a picture uh, just so he could take it home and laugh with him. So anyway, uh, but we love our church family here. Uh, well, that leads us into the sermon series. Uh, we're preaching on joy in the journey, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so that's easy. Uh, so anyway, uh, normally I don't sit. Normally, if you know me, I'm a little bit of a hyper guy. So, but uh, this is killing me, Mike, sitting here. But anyway, we're talking to you guys about how to have joy in your spiritual journey. And God's sense of humor uh, allowed all this to happen in my life, so I've learned. But anyway, uh, we're here, and so let me uh, set the stage for today's message on how we find joy in our spiritual journey, going through the book of. Philippians. We preach the Word of God here verse by verse. We go through it expositionally, and we're going to continue to do that today. So here's where we're at this morning. How many of you have ever had an interesting experience on an escalator or moving sidewalk? And I know that we're in Mississippi, and some of y'all rednecks. How many of you have ever got on an escalator or one of those moving sidewalks at the airport and you just did not have a pleasant experience. You were, uh, maybe you just had a bad experience. I know some of y'all hypocrites should be raising your hands right now. Well, uh, I grew up in Southern Illinois, my family, and uh, we were very, very farm people. My mom never really left the county. We went on maybe two or three vacations my whole life. And this is how sad and lame that our family was. We went on vacation to the Free Will Baptist National Convention. That is lame because it is absolutely boring. And uh, that was our big deal to go to the big city. And we went, one year we went to Indianapolis, the Free Will Baptist Convention, and come to Indianapolis. And so we're mom and dad like, we can make that trip. That's just the state next to us. You know, that was a big deal. We crossed state lines on vacation. Whoa. Uh, anyway, and so we made it to Indianapolis. My brother, uh, we stayed in a big old fancy hotel called Embassy Suites. And it was the convention hotel. Had a giant atrium in it. And to go up to our room, we had to go up an escalator. And literally, it was like the Beverly Hillbillies came to town. I mean, we were uh, we were going, ooh, ah. Oh. And my little brother had never been, you know, on an escalator. And I kid you not, he sets foot, Brandon, on the escalator. And he's like, you know, you know, he's just trying to feel his way. Oh, that hurt. And uh, he finally gets on the escalator. And I kid you not, the first step, all it does is take you up and he gets on there and it eats his shoe. Rips his shoe off of his foot, breaks the escalator, it jams up, and, and so the Beverly Hillbilly Clampets have just embarrassed the whole hotel. They have to shut it down, and my brother's going, and I said, why didn't you just get on the escalator? And he goes, I didn't know where it'd take me. Uh, and so many of us today sort of are like the very uh, experience of being on the escalator. And matter of fact, look at these guys, because they maybe you can relate to them too. 
Don't laugh, he's old. That's me. Right there, guys, right there. There's you guys. I love this one. This is your kid right here. Yes, yes. That's what he gets. So here's the deal. Folks have failed to understand, not just my family, the basic purpose of an escalator. Now here's the key. You guys ready for this? The, the goal of an escalator is for you to stand firmly on the first step, both feet all the way in, and it moves you forward. Rocket science. You stand firm on the first step of the escalator, and it takes you to where you want to go. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to unveil for us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 this morning. We've entitled the message today, Standing Firm While Still Moving Forward, Without Moving Forward. So let me read that again. You try to do that on drugs. Standing Firm Without Standing Still. So turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Philippians chapter 3. And Paul's going to make the case that if we stand firm in our belief of Jesus Christ, he will move us forward. And it's just that simple of getting our feet landed on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I and the Apostle Paul are going to unpack that for you today in our text. Paul's going to open up with a, uh, a using an intense running analogy to describe the Christian life. In the first 11 verses that I talked to you guys about last Sunday, man, I'm telling you, we brought it to you guys and we, we shared with you. One of my deacons shared with me in my discipleship group on Monday night. He said, Pastor Terry, uh, after nearly 20 years of being a pastor here, he said, if you would have preached that message on hellfire, brimstone, you brought what you did 10 years ago. Man, they're fire in your backside and you're out the door. Because the truth of the matter is, our church has matured. Our church has grown in discipleship that they could handle. I mean, we literally took the hide off of looking at what it means to repent. And I'm just telling you, the first measure of God moving you forward, you're going to hear the message today. We're going to give you the positive side of all of this. But I'm just laying it out here, reminding you again, in verses 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul makes the case to the church, we've got to quit letting his words, not mine, the dogs, the false teaching that if you're somehow religious, you can be a member of a church and you believe in religion, you practice religion, or, or, or you're good enough. In the South, the whole thing that we think saves us is we got to be nice people. we got to raise good-mannered kids that grow up, graduate from Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and as long as they're successful in life, when they die, they're going to go to heaven, and that is absolutely a bona fide religious practice that we've been doing in the church for years. We want good kids. We want good families. Well, I'm telling you, we're not looking for that at Connect Church because you're good kids, you're good families that graduate from Ole Miss, that graduate from state without a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to split hell wide open if they don't repent. That's just a little taste of what we did last Sunday. What we're looking for here at this church it's for you to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means you get out of the way and ask him into your heart and ask him to change you from the inside out. And who gives a rip what anybody else thinks and judges you for anything else? When we've been cleared by the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only judge I'm worried about is King Jesus. Are you with me this morning? And so today, 
the Apostle Paul is going to unpack for us what it looks like to move forward while standing firm on the gospel. Here's what I want you to write down. Here's what the sermon is about this morning. So your first place to your notes for our new families. We're note takers here at Connect Church. We try to give you content in the word of God. So here we are. We are to be insulated from the wickedness of our times. I love this, but not isolated from the world itself. A huge mistake that the church made back in the day, in my day, is that we, we, we're, we're, we're good. Our church has got a 90-year history here, and that's awesome, and, and great preachers and pastors over the years. And we've stood firm, and we've preached the Word of God here at Connect Church in Tupelo Freewell. But the truth of the matter is, what we've not been real good at until recent years is understanding that we've got to move forward into the community. We've got to reach them with the gospel. Over 20 service projects have happened in this community this month alone because of connect groups and the small group ministries have went out and served this community. I called a guy in our church yesterday. I don't even know what they're all doing. I love this. You guys are making a difference in this community because we're standing firm, but we're moving the gospel forward in the community. I have people tell me from time to time, well, pastor, I'd like to do something. I don't have a job to do. Then join a connect group, and every connect group is required to do service projects in this community. I called Alan. His grandmother passed away. And just to you know, let him know, I'm praying for you at the funeral today. I said, you know, I said, what are you doing, dude? You got a minute to talk. He said, we're on, with my connect group on a service project. I don't even know what house they were in, but they were in some facility that helps uh, homeless and needy people, and they were painting the building for them. Connect Church out there in the community making a difference. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what it looks like to stand firm while moving forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am so thankful that our church is not huddled up there are churches, you listen to me this morning, all over this country that are dying, Terry. And here's what they're doing. There are little groups of people, most of them are going to be honest with you, you're going to be my age or older, and we've huddled up. We don't have any kids in their churches. You want to know why? Because they decided we've got to save the church. We've got to have it all protected. We've got to stand firm on what we believe, and it's become us versus them. I got news for you. The them out there that's not here this morning are just like us. The only difference is Jesus Christ saved us. We were them. He made us us. How about we drop the little analogies and, and, and pronouns and descriptions? We're all together in this. Let's go get them. Let's go get them because them is us before we met Jesus. I just made that, I like that. That's good. Somebody write that down. We're going to use that again. I'm just telling you. And plus, it hurt to really say that. God has called us to stand firm without standing still. The world is in rough shape. I don't have to tell you this morning. Conflicts, family feuds, marriage fractures in our, fa in our fellowship, Partnerships dissolving, churches splitting, personality clashes. Why? Why is all of this depravity going on? Why in the world is our, is our country and you and your lives represented here this morning? Why in the world are we having all these problems, James? You want to know why? Because we're sinful, depraved people. You are. 
And so am I. Last Sunday, my precious little granddaughter, I told this story. I think she's perfect. I think my grandson's perfect. But you know what? I told the story at 18 months, she showed out. She pitched a fit like I've never seen. I, my, kid, my son and my daughter-in-laws told me about it. I thought they were liars. But I saw her in my house pitch a fit. And I'm thinking, where in that world does that come from? And you know what I realized, Lynn? She's a Pierce. That's not funny. And she has the same depraved nature at 18 months. Now, here's the cool part. The great part of that story is you have a depraved nature. Every one of your kids are showing out. Don't blame my kids. Your kids are just the same way. They have a depraved nature. And the only hope that little precious Nora has one day is that when she's old enough to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for her sins, that she's going to make that decision. I'm already praying for it every day. Her and Matthew are going to make that decision to ask Jesus Christ into their heart, into their life. And he's going to change them forever the gospel standing firm but moving forward at the same time so here's how Paul says it not that I've already obtained this or and already a perfect or am already perfect I love that he just nails all you religious people out the window <laughs> we're not perfect we're not perfect I love that but I press on to make it my own Oh, this is good. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You might want to circle that. Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's where we're going to hang out today. But let's get through the rest. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made up my own. I didn't do this. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. You want to circle that one again. We're going to finish there. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if you think anything otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. In other words, if you're not getting it, the Holy Spirit, this is so cool. Look at me for just a second. The Holy Spirit, if you're not getting this, he's going to show you today. Oh, this, I am punt. He's going to show you today. How to move forward. You guys have got to get past the past. We're going to learn how to, uh, anyway, it's just good. So here's what he says. Where in the world was I at? Oh, yeah. Um, I have no idea. Let those, yeah, yeah, I got that verse. All right, let's go to verse 17. Brothers, join me in an imitating and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory be their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Remember all that religious stuff. But our citizenship is in heaven. From if we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, and by the power that enables him even to subject all things unto himself. Somebody say amen. That is money stuff. All right, so let me set this up for you this morning, then we're going to give you some practical application. On April the 19th, April the 19th, 2014, more than 36,000 runners hit the pavement 
for the 118th Boston Marathon. Where's John Curtis at? Uh, he would be envious. But here's the significant thing of that. In 2013, if you remember, a, te- a terrorist let out a bomb in the Boston Marathon the year before. Killed three people, wounded many, Jared. And Boston was brought to its knees by a terrorist. But the leaders of Boston decided, do we cancel the next year's marathon or do we suit it up and say we're not going to be stopped by the enemy? And with much planning and preparation, they put the marathon on the next year. And those 36,000 runners, and you could feel the tension in the whole city. The fans, the runners, everybody was scared to death. Is this going to happen again? But they ran anyway, Josh. And they ran anyway. And as they looked for the first place runner, come, was coming and headed towards the finish line. For the first time, Since 1983, an American was winning the race and won the race. And as he approached the finish line, the Boston people began to chant, U.S.A. Remember the terrorists last year that said they're going to destroy America and the city? U.S.A. 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 And the city began to fill with the chant of U.S.A. And why were they doing that? Because they realized that what the enemy had tried to do to destroy their city, that they were back. And they were back, and they had won the race and finished the course. And what Paul is saying to the church, and he's saying to you and I today, the enemy is trying to knock you down. The enemy has let off a bomb in your family, in your heart, in your life, and he's tried to make you miserable. But I'm telling you today, keep moving forward. Keep running the race, because I'm telling you, the King of kings and Lord of lords is going to win the race, and we win with him. Amen. We win the race, no matter how flipping painful it is. So I want to tell you today, Paul says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or already perfect. I love this, (laughs) but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Isn't that awesome? I love this verse. And I love, this is not water today, and I'm not telling you what's in there. (laughs) But it's really good. Anyway, we press on. It's okay to laugh. The Baptists, I know, we're not supposed to have any fun with something else. Paul banishes the thoughts of legalism and Judaizers. No one is perfect. No one has arrived. Do you know how stupid it is that we did religion? (laughs) Here in this church, Paul says, no one's perfect. No one has arrived. I had, several years ago, had a lady tell me, I don't get your preaching. I mean, just face to face. 
And I go, okay, well, you know, I get it. You know, not every, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> I get it. Uh, there's a lot of people who probably don't, you know, <laughs> join the crowd. Anyway, she goes, I don't get your preaching. But this was her reason. She goes, you keep talking about you and Belen and your struggles and your kids and raising them. And she looked me in the face. Member of this church, long time. And said, my family's perfect. And I just don't understand why you keep talking about all these problems. Because we're perfect. And I was like, Josh, okay, go ahead. Uh, anyway, I was just serious. I mean, I can't even believe the mentality that we somehow think that we've arrived and that we deserve anything whatsoever. And you wonder why we don't have an outreach. You wonder why we don't care about people that are dying and going to hell. Because we somehow, and Paul says, enough of that. He said, no, 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 no. He says, I understand that no one's perfect. And look what Paul is arguing and making the case for. Paul's making the case that he said, listen, I met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And the Damascus Road changed the Apostle Paul. He thought he had it all figured out. And you and I need to understand this morning, here's the deal. Jesus Christ saved Paul on the Damascus Road. Paul, you're, you're, and you're here this morning, and you're listening online, and you're thinking, man, you don't know how bad I've been. You don't know how screwed up my life has been. You don't know the things that I've done, and, and, and you don't know where I, you know, all this stuff. Look at me this morning. The Apostle Paul is perhaps the greatest sinner that ever walked the face of the earth. Nobody ever killed more Christians than the Apostle Paul. His job was to destroy the church of Jesus Christ, and he's the best that there ever was at it until the Damascus Road, and he met Jesus Christ, and he redirected his life, changed him, and saved him. If Paul can have that experience, so can you. So can you. And Paul says, God changed my life. Listen to Dr. Frank Tillman, great New Testament scholar, as he describes this experience. Christ intervened and dramatically reoriented. It's easy for you to say without something. Paul's life on the Damascus Road, his efforts would no longer be his own strength and misguided. Oh, this is good. Instead, his salvation will bring him successfully to the end of the race. You understand what this means, don't you, this morning? Oh, this is good. This is good. Do you know what happened in my life? In 1971, in 1971, a preacher, a little country preacher in Waltonville, Illinois, that never graduated from high school, who was a coal miner, who had about four sermons that he preached, but he was my pastor for six years, worked full-time in a coal mine, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and one night, on one Sunday morning, he preached on hell. And it got that little six-year-old kid scared to death, and I gave my heart and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I ain't never been the same since. He's changed me forever, and I'm telling you, it ain't been an easy road. It's been a difficult road at many times, and I'm we've raised three boys, and I'm telling you, there's been many battles, pastored for over 30 years, but I'm telling you, I'm standing here today. It's never been better. It's never been sweeter. I'm having the time of my life, but I'm telling you, you want to know why? Because I met Jesus in 1971. And he changed the course of my life. What about you? Let's have a little church in here this morning. Y'all online folks, y'all play along too. When did you get saved? 
When did you meet Jesus? When did Jesus make you his own? What happened in 1971 is Jesus made me his own. Do you remember when you got saved? I think we, we, we got a problem. Y'all not, not enjoying this near as much as you should. We need to go back to the, I, I want somebody right now to just, just yell it out. What, when did you get saved? I don't know the, I don't know the day. Wait, hang on, go, go. What, what, what year? What, what, you know what year? 1981. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, Danny, hit it. 1980. We got two. You guys got saved the same year, man. That's going to be a great day in heaven. All right, awesome. 1981. Give me somebody else. Yeah, Rebecca. 1991. I already getting a little bit closer. Somebody else. Brooks. 1972. Dude, you're old. Ah, that's awesome, man. So I'm with you. So I, I got you by a year. Yeah, hit it, Shauna. 2013. Now we get somebody in the decade. Ah, that's awesome. Somebody else. When did you get saved? Bob. 1989. Was it a good day, son? Was it a good day? Uh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, hit it, Ernie, hit it. 1974, he's old too. What about you, Ernie? 1960, and he's still breathing. That's awesome, man. That dude's going to be in heaven any day now. I'm just telling you. That is, uh, amen. Uh, hey, best day of your life, though, wasn't it, Ernie? Best day of your life. Guarantee you, amen. You got to know his daddy, too. One of the things I learned about him and his daddy. Now, his daddy was a trip, buddy. Uh, I'm telling you, where are you out? But, man, he believed in salvation. He believed in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you here this morning, that's all we're preaching to you guys today. It's the same daddy, uh, the same that Mr. O. Simmons would preach and tell you today. I'm telling you, the greatest day of your life is when you got saved. Folks, we need to get back to remembering salvation. We need to get back to remembering the day that Jesus changed our life and the course. And that's what Paul's talking about. The Damascus Road changes experience and you want to know why for you younger generation of why you want to remember when you got saved because guess what happened man I so want to jump these stairs right now but I would be right now call the ER uh, but here's the thing the day you got saved shoot the day you I can't go down here's the thing this is too good the day you got saved you got the Holy Spirit Y'all ain't getting excited about that. Amen. Thank you, sis. I can't do it. Appreciate that. Is anybody else in here saved besides Lane? I'm just telling you. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? I know we're Baptists. Y'all act like we're scared to death of the Holy Spirit. How many Baptist preachers have never mentioned the Holy Spirit in your life? we got to get past that, dude. We talk about the Holy Spirit in this Baptist church. We probably fix it to lose our denominational principles. <laughs> Good, go. Now, I'm just telling you. I'm going with the Holy Spirit of the living God inside of me. He's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I got him in 1971, and he made me his own. Amen. Yes, yes, that's what we need to be celebrating. There's nothing any better. All three of my boys raised in this church, the church didn't save him. Jesus did greatest day of my life to baptize my kids absolutely and guess what dude let's just go there i can't wait to be at matthew nora and owen's like in two weeks and parker's coming next month so i'm just telling you i can't wait to baptize my grandkids it's about jesus christ changing their lives the holy spirit lives inside of us and you know what the holy spirit does you with me this morning Man, we're not, we're all, we are scaring our guests to death, aren't we, today? So anyway, you come back next Sunday, and if they don't do surgery on me, I'm going to be here, and I'm going to preach the same exact way. Because I'm not backing off, I'm moving forward.
with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what the practical part, don't use that arm, here's what the practical part of the Holy Spirit will do in your life. He's going to help you finish the race and move forward every day of your life. Tuesday night, this is the Holy Spirit. This is what he wants to do in your life. He helps you every day. That's the wrong end, sorry. I'm telling you, I've got to take a lot of drugs. The good ones, medicines, anyway, prescriptions, sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to get arrested after service. <laughs> Let me go, Jason. I'm not driving. Anyway, so <laughs> state trooper down the uh, We're having fun, ain't we? All right, anyway, so <laughs> and that hurt like a dog. Anyway, where was I going? Oh, uh, Tuesday night. Holy Spirit, <laughs> we need that train. And um, I've got two voices in my life. One of them is the Holy Spirit, and the second one's in this metal aisle. I'm not going to look right now, but I have two voices in my life, and they both speak truth into my life. My wife, Belen, the Holy Spirit. And Tuesday night, the second one, uh, following the Holy Spirit, had a bad night. And the pain had reached to the place. Uh, I've got herniated disc, and uh, six and seven, and three and four is bad, and they're worried about that later. But anyway, and so um, we didn't, we couldn't get medical. We've been through three weeks of this, three weeks of absolutely pain, 24 hours a day. Could not get our medical teams to get a schedule. They told us June, and Belinda had, had enough. And she looked at her husband, who was talking out of his head, who couldn't move, and she'd had enough after three weeks of watching her husband go down, lost seven pounds just because of the pain and the stress. And she said, enough's enough. And she said, we're going back to the ER for the second time in four days. And they're going to do something. And Tuesday night, I got dressed. And she said, get your drawers on. We're going at midnight. We get into the ER. And they were fantastic. And the ER doctor gets us in. And uh, Jason, it's a little scary when the ER doctor looks at your MRI and he goes, oh, no, I'm not touching you. I, I, I can't even, I don't, you're, you're, I'm out. And we just start crying because that's all we've heard. He goes, you're so messed up, I don't even want to touch your case. But, she said, the ER doctor, tonight, you're not going to believe this, but we just happen to have an intern, a neurosurgeon, who is on call tonight. Let me see if she's still here. This is 3 a.m., and let me see if she's still here. And do you know, she said, by luck, we said, heck no. Holy Spirit, God sent us to the ER that night, the one night that the neurosurgeon happened to be there. She comes in, and she sits down with us in pain for over an hour. And she walks us through the MRI and what it's saying. And she then says, this is so bad that I'm calling the guy that's over my whole department at Longtown. She calls her boss, her doctor, wakes him up. Who does that at 3 a.m. and says, look at this dude's MRI. You tell me if I'm reading this right. Do I keep him tonight and we cut on him tomorrow? Or what do we do with him? And that doctor got up that's headed over that department at 3 a.m., read my MRI and said, yeah, this guy, and tell me what they're doing with him. She said, no way. Everything that they're doing is basically wrong. 
here's what you got to do. I'm out of town. We're going to bring him in Monday morning, and I'm telling you, move him to the front of our line, and we're going to take care, and we're going to help this guy out tomorrow morning. And he said, but we're going to do this. And so, listen, you get this guy on this regiment, change everything that they've told him to do. This guy is serious. He could be paralyzed. And so here's what we're going to do. Boom. And I'm telling you, Belinda and I started weeping. This lady goes to White Hill Church. She's a member at White Hill, one of my good pastor friends, uh, Pastor Jeffrey Daniel, uh, great friends with him. She knew the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit filled up that ER. You will never convince me as long as I live that God didn't lead my wife to say, right now we're going to the ER because God knew the right doctor, the right help that we've been looking and waiting for and been painfully through three weeks. God knew what he was doing because he loves us and he takes care of us. God's good and he's good all the time. You keep moving forward. You keep moving forward. You keep moving forward. Because God loves us and he wants to take care of us and he gets us through this. So this morning, I want to remind you that just like in your case and mine, God doesn't call us guys and save us. You remember the lady I talked about earlier? God doesn't call us to run a marathon where we're on nice, clean streets and perfect. That's not our lives. The marathon race that we run to heaven is a rocky, dangerous terrain filled with pitfalls and predators. But here's the deal. God runs with us. God runs with us. Listen to this. Charles Swindoll says it this way. Paul's Damascus Road experience didn't pluck him from earth and place him on the foyer of a heavenly Jerusalem. But rather, I love this, it turned him from the wrong path and started him on a new journey of danger and challenge. (laughs) Even preaching in a neck brace required him to what? Press on. Press on is the key word in the text today. Press on is what the Apostle Paul says. So what does that look like in your life and mine? I've got five minutes. Oh, we've got to hurry. All right, so here we go. Uh, get out your notes real quick, and we're going to help apply how do you press on in this life. How do we learn how to stand firm while God moves us forward? Number one, God's plan is progress, not perfection. I ain't going to lie, I wrote that. That's money. That is so good. God's plan. We've been looking for perfect people in churches. Shame on us. What God has been looking for is progress. There is no perfection. I don't care how you dress. I don't care what you look like. There's no perfect people at Connect Church. Can I get a witness? Every one of y'all been going to be clapping because I'm telling you, there ain't none of y'all perfect. But I'm telling you, what we are called to do is make progress. That's what we're called to do. That's what the text is about. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and I love this verse right now, straining (laughs) to go forward to what lies ahead. (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm believing that verse right now. Uh, I'm just telling you, it's not easy, Neil, but we move on. What's the prize? The prize is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So what does that look like in your life and mine? We've got to go through this quick. I want you to look at the screen of a picture of an old house. This old house, and this is written, um, Tiffany uh, put this on the social media, so i got to give her props. She's going to get a big head. But, uh, and I stole it from her today off social media, so she put it out there as mine. But Catherine Inlow and it, uh, wrote this piece. And she talks about, writer, she says, you know, I drove by this old house in the country the other day, 
And she said, and I looked at it, and, and I thought, you know, I don't get this, but she, she looked at it, and she's an HDTV person, I guess, and she says, you know, I thought, man, if I bought this house, I could fix it up. I don't see it, but she did. And she said, um, I got to thinking, why did this house get into such bad condition? And you know, the old adage is, and she goes, you could tell nobody lives there, and you all know the story of when a house is unoccupied and nobody lives there on the inside, it just rots and deteriorates because there's nobody taking care of it. And she said the roof is sagging, the front porch is about to fall off, the windows were busted, and then she writes, but isn't that old house just like us? When Jesus is not inside of you, when the Holy Spirit is not inside of you, you're just falling apart. You need a presence in your life to fix your broken windows, to fix your roofs that are falling in, to fix the front porch of your life that is just coming unhinged. And Jesus inside of us Here's what it means, and we don't like it. And some of you church members, you need to listen to me because you've been running from this. You're watching online because you won't get your backside to church like you need to. And the, church, and the truth of the matter is, is Jesus is saying to you and I, I want to come inside. And you know what? When he comes inside, he says, man, that is some ugly flipping wallpaper that's got to go. And when he tears off the wallpaper in your life, because you know what? He's saying to you and I that you need to quit playing video games, get your backside up at church on Sunday morning, and quit wasting time because you won't do your devotions, because you won't do a hear journal, because you're too busy, occupied on Twitter, on your phone, to have time to listen to God, to do your prayer time. You've got on your phone porn that, no, that you think nobody knows about, the wallpaper in your life, Maybe you're just simply are negative, you hang around negative people. God is saying, I need to rip the wallpaper of your sin. Whatever your sin is, it's all about me. Whatever your sin is, he rips the wallpaper off and says, we need to quit. It's got to go. And, the, or, and, the part, and sometimes he's got to tear out the walls. And it hurts. And you know what you all are tempted to do? You're tempted to run away from a church like this from a preacher like this and you're tempted to run away because you don't like the pain of being remodeled but if Jesus is in the house he can't hang out in the house and let it be in that condition he's got to fix it that's what he does but here's the cool part you ready he's going to rip the wallpaper off and then John he's going to repaint the wall in your life and you're going to find out you don't need the porn. Not John. But anyway, just kidding. Sorry. That didn't go over well. Uh, you don't, you're going to find out <laughs> that you don't need that sin in your life. You're going to find out that thing that you're hanging on to, if you'll let him repaint it, if you let him make it new, you're going to love it. You're going to love the color. You're going to love how bright it is. You're going to love how beautiful it is. And you're going to go, wow, I never knew that could be in my life. I'm living proof since 1971. 
that he's made. I don't look it on the outside, but he's made something beautiful on the inside, and it has nothing to do with me being perfect. I know, I know a great carpenter. I know the greatest carpenter that ever lived, and his name is Jesus, and he can fix anything if you invite him into your house. That's how you make progress. You make progress by letting Jesus come inside. What's the practical way that Jesus comes inside? You ready? You start with the F260 here journal plan. You begin to read your Bible daily and pray to him and Jesus will begin to remodel your life through the word of the living God. Hear journals, hear journals, get them and start letting God change you from the inside out. Number two, join a connect group. You need to be discipled. What God is exploding the ministry of Connect Church is connect groups, small groups on Sunday night, over 200 people, 20 different groups, meeting together, singles are learning how to adjust with all the temptations in their life. Married folks are learning how to do marriage and raise kids together with people that struggle with kids, amen? having kids all over the place in this church. we got a bunch of pregnant women. I'm just telling you, they need help. And so God is blessing and helping our folks figure out how to navigate this season of our life and why connect groups living life together. We study the sermon on Sunday nights, one thought all week long, take the truth of God's word, and then a Sunday night, apply it on how we live. Fantastic concept that God is doing here of discipleship. Join a D group. If you're interested in being personally discipled, I think we're up to 13 D groups now, discipleship groups. Go to guest services today. Give them your name and say, I want to be plugged into a discipleship group, and I'll do my best to get you plugged in. Sunday school classes, Bob's Bible studies. Um, that's what we're going to call that new, new name, name, Bob's Bible studies. Anyway, uh, all of these things that we're doing here at Connect Church, all these avenues are just ways that you guys can get plugged in to being able to be, move and make progress in your life. All right, I'm over, so here we got. Let me give you the last two real quick and we'll go. Number two is past, uh, you got to get over, past, you got to let your past be, is over. <laughs> I can't read. Here's what you need to know this morning. We got to move beyond our past. Consider Paul's imagery of moving forward. All right, now I got to move through this real quickly. So your past is over. Listen to this phrase that O'Brien, a commentary on this text. Here's what he says. Let me give you the verse first. Forgetting what lies behind, Paul says, and straining forward to what lies ahead. So that's the text, forgetting what lies behind. What does Paul mean by that? Listen to O'Brien's commentary on this and write this down. This is it. He will not allow either the achievements of the past or, for that matter, his failures as a Christian to prevent his gaze from being fixed firmly on the finish line. He forgets as he runs. Ladies and gentlemen, as we wrap all this up this morning, this is the key. This is the key to you being able to finish the race well. This is how we get victory in our life. As you move forward, Paul's saying, I hate, man, you guys drive me nuts that say, I just want to go back to the good old days. I'm not sure they were that good to begin with. I want to go back to the glory days when we did this in the church and we did that in the church, whatever. I got news for you. We ain't going back. 
When you move and run the marathon race, you can't go back if you wanted to. You hang on to your glory, you're going to die. You're going to destroy your families. There's no kids coming. I'm just telling you, the glory days of which you're trying to hang on to, there's not that glorious. And by the way, the sins and the mistakes that you've made in the present, you need to let them go. The past is the past. And when the blood covers the past, we move forward. We forget and move forward as we run. I love that. I love that. Let it go. Let it go. Move forward. Stand firm on what we believe, Chop, and allow the Holy Spirit to move us forward. And then finally, the future holds our hope. So reach for it. Oh, isn't that good? Paul employs the language reflecting the intensity of an athlete running. And he said he's eager to win the prize. So what is the future holds our hopes to reach for it? How do we do that, Pastor? Y'all ready? It's straight out of the Bible. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will what? Oh, I'm ready for that. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things unto himself and God's people said. Isn't that good? Are you ready for that day? Would you stand with me this morning? I want to remind you and I today that God has called us to, to move forward. God has called us to continue to move forward and progress towards him. I was reading in my hear journal this past Friday. I was in Judges 37, and Elihu tells the story. He's a horrible friend. Job's in pain. <laughs> what, how ironic is it in my here journals? I'm in it in the book of Job for the last month. <laughs> wow, nice. And as Job goes through that season of his life, Elihu tells him about the glory of God. And so Friday, I don't have them all the time, but Friday was just one of those days. I'm hurting, trying to type a sermon. I cannot concentrate. It's just a mess. And God said, just get out of the office. And I'm staying at home, and I'm doing it in my home office, and I'm doing everything I can. i got to get it to Tanner and the media, and so I just can't get it wrote. I just can't concentrate. And I read in my hear journals. It's all about making progress, preacher. It's not about winning. And God just showed me his glory. And he said, God, in, in Job 37, is in the wind. Miss Marie, God is in the trees. And God is in the sky. And God is in the mountains. And God is in the ocean waves. You, those of you on the beach right now, I want you to look at that beach, and I want you to know that God made all that. He made all of that beauty of that you guys are in the mountains today. And I began to walk my neighborhood. And I just took a walk and prayed. And as I'm walking and praying, the glory of God, just looking at the trees, looking at the birds, looking at the sky, and just knowing that God that made all of that, James, he has made me 
his own. And I'm telling you, I'm a Baptist, but I had a Holy Spirit come apart right then. I wound up praying over you guys, praying over this service today. And I'm telling you, I sent Tanner a text and said, dude, we, we got to send out an email. We need this church praying because I'm telling you, God is up to something. I wound up walking in pain for over an hour, didn't even realize it, just praying over you and God and this church. And I'm telling you, God is moving forward. I don't know if I'll be here next week, but I know God will. God is going to keep you guys forward. Are you guys ready to quit behind the stuff behind you? Let it go. Move forward. Let's run and let's forget. And if God is calling you today to move forward, would you come as we sing a verse of invitation? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.